Come on, you can clap for Jesus. Don't clap for me. Clap for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right. You guys didn't want to stand up up there? I mean, what's up with you? Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't, you don't have to stand for me at all. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a call-out captain, so I will call you right out. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, hey, everybody. What's up? How y'all doing? To everybody joining us online, I feel like I have to say that every time I preach now, because uh, half my church is on the internets. Uh, welcome to uh, uh, North Central Chapel. It's good to be back. I was here last, I don't know, it was the middle of dead of winter. I think you call it April. Um, but anyway, I was here last spring, February or March or so, snow on the ground, bones were hurting. And uh, it's good to be back with a little bit, it's a little warmer, but I still was like, I don't, I don't know how y'all handle this. I'm from New Orleans originally where Christmas is in shorts and a t-shirt, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, this is freezing cold. But anyway, it's good to be back with you guys. My name is Mike. I pastor Life Point Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Uh, I encourage you to always bring a Bible to church and to chapel. Bring a paper Bible. I'm old school. I like to write notes in my Bible. And um, if you brought a fake Bible, go ahead and scroll to uh, Luke 13. That would be helpful. I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. Uh, Parable of the barren fig tree. Now, uh, my wife sends greetings. My wife, Stephanie, we've been married. It'll be 20 years next summer. We got uh, married. Pastor Jeff Grinnell was at my wedding. He was her youth pastor way back in the day. And uh, man, it's, it's been a great life. We have four daughters. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have four daughters. So I'm drowning in estrogen in my house. Um, so ladies, I, I know your life. I know your world. Fellas, it'd be great to hang out like any guys want to have me over and play Call of Duty. Or, I don't even play video games. But just, I need some guy time in my life. That would be helpful. Thank you to the school, Dr. Hagen, Mrs. Hagen. Thank you, Jeff Grinnell, Doug Graham, uh, Dr. Tennyson, for just making me feel so welcome here. And I do want to fangirl one more time. I did this last time, but Jeff Dio, man, come on. You guys have Jeff Dio at North Central University. Do y'all even know who I'm talking about? Y'all need to go back into cassette tape land. Get you a little uh, old school Sonic Flood red cover jacket. The original, man. Uh, praise the Lord. Was it pink? Yeah, yeah. Today we're going to look at a very obscure parable. I love the parables of Jesus. I think they're brilliant. And uh, Jesus taught, my kingdom is like this. And he told all these stories. It's interesting, Jesus never defended himself in ministry. And oftentimes he was accused of things that were just not true. He was lied about. He was... Um, uh, criticized often, and he kept talking about, yeah, you may think that, but let me tell you about another kingdom. Whenever he started his parables, he would start with saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and then he'd tell these beautiful stories. Today, I want to look at one of the most obscure parables of Jesus, and it's probably one that you've confused with an event of Jesus. You remember the story of him cursing the fig tree? Have you guys read your Bibles? Remember the story of him cursing the fig tree? Well, today we're going to look at the parable of the barren fig tree, not the same story. Really powerful. And it's Jesus' response when things were crazy. In a chaotic time of severe, devastating death. How many of you think the last two years have been tragic? I mean, can anybody name a tragedy in the last two years? Can anybody think of the pain that you've endured through the tragedy of the last two years? Racial horrific racial pressure and tension and death of our brothers and sisters, COVID-19, global pandemic, the absolute most bizarre election season ever. 
I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on who won. I'm just glad it's over. Can somebody say amen to that? It has been such a chaotic season in the last two years. In fact, last time I was here, uh, this room was like 50 people and all of you were wearing masks. And I think most of you were online. Uh, just what a crazy year it's been. Crazy couple years. I'm 41 years old. I've never experienced anything like these last two years. But in a season where Jesus is dealing with, uh, he's, he's, he's doing life with his disciples. He's traveling up to Jerusalem from uh, the, the region of Galilee. We come to this story in Luke chapter 13. So, so if you know this in your Bible, from Luke chapter 9 to 19, we've got Jesus on the road up to Jerusalem. He's going up to be crucified ultimately. And these 11 chapters, some scholars have called this the travel narrative of Jesus. It's, it's these really significant moments in the ministry of Jesus while he's on the road. I did a series uh, in my first year of pastoring the church called On the Road Again through Luke 11, uh, 9 through 19. We had a theme song by Willie Nelson. Come on, somebody. Um, so, so he's on the road and he's up to, heading up to Jerusalem and for the next 11 chapters, he's telling some of the stories that he won't tell anywhere else. Some of the parables only appear here. The Good Samaritan story happens here in this travel narrative with Jesus. There's a moment in, in, the, in the traveling up to Jerusalem where this massive crowd is following him and uh, he turns around in Luke 18 and he says, if you say you follow me, you got to die to everything in your life to be my follower. I mean, some really strong teaching moments in the life of Jesus here. But then this really crazy thing happens in Luke 13, verse 1. Some of the people that were present at the time, uh, at the, that very time with Jesus, so he's on the road, he's traveling. Some of the people that were present came and told Jesus about these Galileans. Remember, Jesus did most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. These Galilean Jews whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, let me just give you a little backstory about this. And I want you to understand something as we get into this text. First of all, we all, somebody say all, need the mercy of God. We all do. Whether you're a sinner or a saint, you're an insider or an outsider, Jew or Greek, Galilean, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, we all need the mercy of God. We may not have all received it yet, but we still all need it. And this crazy story happens. It was, a, it was like a, a slaughtering of Galileans at the temple. So these Galilean Jews had gone up to the temple to bring an offering to the Lord. And this really crazy thing happened. Pilate, for some reason, decides to slaughter these Galileans who are offering a sacrifice to God. Now, this is a really awful day at the temple. This would make national news in any country today. The provincial governor of a place has decided to murder and slaughter innocent religious pilgrims making a sacrifice to their God. Pilate was the governor of the Roman-occupied province of Judea where the temple was located in Jerusalem. And he had this group of Jewish pilgrims slaughtered at the time of their offering of sacrifice. He had them killed on or at least near the altar. And then he put their human blood on the altar of sacrifice with the animals that they had brought to give to the Lord. That's a pretty bad day. Jesus is traveling. He, had, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the pilot he's going to go see in a couple of days. 
and they come and tell him what happens. It's gruesome. And honestly, you can compare anything that we're going to today in the last 12 months, 18 months, and as equally gruesome as the things that we've experienced in the last two years, this is as terribly gruesome there as well. Think of the, 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 the pulling out of Afghanistan and people trying to ride on the outside of planes falling to their death. Think of the, the, the martyrs, the, those being killed in the Middle East, those who are being blown up in their own churches in different parts of Europe. I mean, gruesome would make national news. This gruesome act, if you've done your research, this act by Pilate would have been heinous and cruel. And if, and if the Jews had any kind of political clout, they would have declared war over such a thing. It would have been sacrilegious. And it was an offense to the people of God to put human blood on the altar in God's temple. Jews have no place for human sacrifice in their tradition. It's an affront against God. It's an affront against the temple and the altar to have this happen. And Jesus is hearing this news. And you would think that Jesus would go into pastor Jesus mode and go, oh, my Lord. Oh, my me. <laughs> Let me get there. Let me go handle this. Let me go talk to Pilate. I'll figure this. I'll straighten this out. Hey, you go feed the widows. You go take care of the or- You go take care of the disciples. I'm going to go handle Pilate. You would think Jesus would go into pastor mode of who do we cancel and who do we petition with and and who do we protest with? Jesus is hearing the news and he takes this opportunity to teach some really hard truths and to ask some really difficult questions, North Central. And he uses this opportunity to talk about the reality of God's judgment. I mean, you'd think you'd be like, well, let's pray for these Galileans. Let's, let's pray for Pilate to get his heart right with God. Let's pray that God would hold him accountable and bring justice. But instead, he goes above all of it, and he begins to talk about God's judgment. Seems a little cold. Seems a little cold to watch the death of George Floyd and go, well, do you think he's a worse sinner than other black people who have died? Seems pretty cold to watch Afghanistanis trying to get out of their country and become a refuge in another country and go, well, do you think they're worse sinners than other Middle Easterners who can't get out of their country? Jesus just goes a whole different direction. And you go, what the heck, man? If that was my preacher, I'd probably leave the church. He asked this question in verse 2. He says, do you think that these Galileans who were just bludgeoned on the altar are worse sinners than other Galileans? Maybe that's why it happened. Maybe God's judgment was poured out on them. And then he says this. He doesn't answer that question. He says, no, I tell you this. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What? What? Where's the compassionate Jesus with the baby lamb on his shoulders? Y'all hear what I'm saying? How in the world did he go from that's awful to unless you repent, it's going to be just as bad for you. What kind of Jesus is this? I like good best friend. Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus. I don't like, don't talk about the issue, Jesus. But his response was not to deal with why this happened. In fact, he never answers the why. But he says, unless you repent, as bad as that was, and it's terrible, it's going to be bad for anyone who doesn't repent. Man, anybody ever read the Bible and there's passages where you go, I wish that wasn't in there? Anybody? Like there's verses I read and I'm like, Lord, please, why'd you have to say that? Forgive my enemies? 
Pray for those who offend me and hurt me. The suffering of Galileans. Oh, and then he doubles down. Watch this. Many of us are struggling with this question. I mean, he's, he's revealing this question in them of fairness. Well, do you think that's unfair? Is that what your problem is? You guys are telling me this because you think it's unfair? Do you think there were sinners? Do you think that they were, that's why they were killed and suffered? Maybe they deserved it. Maybe they did something so bad that they deserved death for their sins. Many of us struggle with this question. It's the same question of fairness. Why does this person get that suffering and that person gets no suffering? Or why this judgment and this punishment, but not for him and not for her and not for that group? Why are Christians being seen this way in this context and, and, and lost people being seen this way? Why Democrats and Republicans? Why, are they, why? It's not fair. Are there degrees of fairness? Are there degrees of sin that deserve more or less of God's wrath? We can all start to think of people that, that have done things we consider worse than us, yet they never got in any kind of judgment for it. And we ask the opposite question. Why should they suffer so much? Why should they're such a good person? It's honest and human to ask these questions. And Jesus doesn't answer that question. I think of all places to be asking that question, it's Minneapolis. And then Jesus says, unless you repent, everyone will perish. Just like that. Can you imagine just the vibe? I mean, along this journey of him traveling up to Jerusalem, many people left him many times. I would have probably left him that day. My mentor, Pastor Rod Lloyd, tells me I have an extremely high justice orientation. And he always pushes on me. He's like, because I'll pick a fight with people just to be right. You know, like he, he says, you're, one of your greatest strengths is that you'll fight for the right things. But one of your greatest weaknesses, weaknesses is you always fight for the right things. And I'll lose relationship to be right about something. Man, thank God I'm in my 40s. I've outgrown a lot of that immaturity. You know what I'm saying? But I probably would have left Jesus this day. Probably because I knew some of those Galileans. Probably because I had a relationship with somebody from Galilee. And he just impersonalized the whole thing. Then he goes a little further. Watch this. This is crazy. In verse 4 and 5, he goes, yeah, that's pretty bad. Unless you all repent, you'll also perish. And then he tells in verse 4 and 5, he goes, oh, you remember what happened at Siloam? So the pool of Siloam is where invalids would come to be prayed for for healing. You remember that? They'd come in and get in the water, stirred up, and they'd get healed. Well, apparently, a tower at Siloam had fallen down and killed 18 people at the pool. 18 invalids, paralyzed people. That would make international headlines. And Jesus says, yeah, you remember those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? He doesn't even ask, answer the question of why do bad things happen to these people? But he says, and I'm telling you, unless you repent, you're suffering. You will likewise perish. Now, it's not Jesus cold up like this going, yep, and unless you repent, you're going to die just like that. Here's the tone of Jesus. And unless you repent and come to me and give me all of your life, as tragic as that is, you will likewise perish tragically. And you don't have to unless you repent. Like, I think it's grieving Jesus. I think he's mourning with them. He's like, what happened? Are you kidding me? But I'm telling you, that's, that's temporary death. That's just right here and now stuff. But if you don't repent and give your life to me, the perishing that you're all going to go through is way worse than that. 
because we all need God's mercy. He even takes a tragic story like the death of those Galileans given a sacrifice, like the death of those paralyzed people with a tower falling on them, totally unsuspected. He goes, and it's actually worse if you don't give your life to me where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness that never dies and a hell that's really hot. He's going, it's actually worse than that. And we have gotten so social justice oriented that we forgot about God's justice. And I'm telling you, the wrath of God is worse than the wrath of this world. The wrath of God is worse than the pain that comes from the, the fallen nature of this world. And Jesus is telling this to say, we need the mercy of God. Can I encourage you, please don't ever get into the comparison trap and the fairness trap. It is a vicious cycle. We say things, well, at least I didn't do this. At least I'm not as it. Don't compare your sin to the sins of others. Please only compare your sins to your own level of repentance. <laughs> Don't ever get into comparing your sins to the others. Well, at least I'm not blank. At least I didn't do what they did. No, no, no. You compare your sin to your own level of repentance. Because you don't get to stand before God one day and compare with others. You stand before God with, did you repent or not? So we all need the mercy of God. And this tragic event happens in the culture that would make international headlines. And Jesus responds with this, like, unless you give your all to me, your future is just as bad, if not worse. Man, what an eternal perspective. How many of us have lost the eternal perspective in these last 18 months? Politics, race, health, economy. How many of us have lost the eternal perspective? If this world falls apart, if this country falls into a nuclear abyss, that's pretty bad. But if you don't repent, it's even worse. Like when's the last time you called someone to repentance when they were grieving about the fallen nature of our world? When's the last time you were inviting someone to say, yes, that's tragic. That's awful. I validate those feelings. And unless you give your all to Jesus, it's actually going to be worse. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? So then he gives a parable. I love this. Jesus never answers why it happened. So he tells a story. This is like old man move right here. Just storytelling. Strokes his mustache. He's like, let me tell you a story. And he starts his parable in chapter 13, verse 6. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on his fig tree and found none. That seems reasonable. And he calls the vine dresser, the assistant, the one who's caring for this vineyard. Look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I don't find any. Cut it down. Why should I use up the ground? Now, this parable, every parable of Jesus has representative characters in it, right? And in this parable, the man who owns the vineyard is representing the father. God. Incidentally, after three years of looking for fruit on this tree, Jesus is in his third year of ministry. And the vine dresser is him. The vine dresser is Jesus. He's the one that's been tending and caring for this vineyard, in particular, this vineyard of Jerusalem and the ministry of Galilee and these disciples. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus has been doing three years. And after three years around the sun, the master would come and go, is there any fruit among these people? The tree representing ultimately us. Immediately, 
This tree was representing the people that was around Jesus, the Jewish leaders, the people of Israel. Now, this fig tree's been in the ground. Here's the story. It's soaking up nutrients. It's getting water. It's pruned. It's attended by the caretaker. And yet, while it's all taking, 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 it's bearing no fruit and giving nothing out. By the way, that's a condition of most church people. They take, take, take. They consume, consume, consume. And they contribute nothing. Can I ask you something, Christians? Please be a contributor to your church. Please be a servant. Please be a tither. Please be a prayer person. Please be a contributor into your church. Don't be a consumer only. This fig tree was about to get chopped down because all it had done is taken from the vineyard without giving into the vineyard. But we've been in this vineyard for years. I'm in Christian school. I serve in church. I'm a part of the body of Christ. But are you bearing fruit in your life? We've been in church. We show up faithfully. We, 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 we're not seeing the fruit of God's will and God's heart and, and God's spirit in our lives. John the Baptist talks about bearing fruit unto repentance. Jesus was teaching this parable because he thought it was super important. Think of his audience now. People who have been with him for three years. Some of them are still not giving their hearts to him. Later in this same travel narrative, people leave him because they say this is hard. Who can do this? The religious leaders would have been insulted at the idea that they would have to repent of their sins to follow this Jesus. They'd rejected him as Messiah and the father would say, cut it down. I've honestly, be, I've honestly been very convicted of this. It's what my good friend, Pastor Wayne Francis, preached at my church recently, that we want the benefits of eternal life without it costing us anything in this life. Man, I've wrestled with questions like, am I turning more and more of my life over to the Lord? Am I repenting of my sin regularly enough? Am I growing in the Lord? Am I dying to my flesh and saying no to my sin? Does my life reflect the fruit of God in it? And so in this tragic day of, of a slaughtering at the altar and a tower falling on paralyzed people, Jesus is talking about, are you fruitful for the kingdom? John the Baptist said, we bear fruit under repentance. The Apostle Paul said the fruit in our life should be in step with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can I remind you something, Pentecostals? I don't care how much you pray in tongues if you're not nice. That also came from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> Am I generous? Do I serve people? Do I look at people not for the, the outward appearance of them or, or the activities of them? Do I look at them as people with the image of God in their lives, as someone who's redeemable, lovable, and that I can care for? Do I bear the fruit of God in me? Remember, Jesus is telling this crowd, unless you repent from the life of selfishness, unless you're all in with me, as tragic as that was, it'll also be tragic for you. We don't get to have it both ways. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a man, he calls him to die. You don't just die when you stop breathing. You die when you say yes to Jesus. You die to your dreams, ambitions, to this life, to success. You die, die to your, listen, you die to whatever image of yourself you're trying to project. You take on the identity of Christ, not the identity of self, the identity of upbringing, the identity of baggage or bondage. You don't take on the identity of what you wrestle with or what you're orientated towards. You take on the identity of Christ. You die to all of that stuff and you take on the identity of Jesus. And so this parable comes on the back end of tragedy where people are trying to align to those who were in the tragedy. These are our Galileans. That was my uncle who was paralyzed under that tower of Siloam. Those are my people. They look like me. They believe like me. They grew up with me. And Jesus is saying, you got to rise above that conversation. And you got to know in your own life, 
If you've not repented and gone all in, listen, Bible college students, I was a seminary student who didn't pray or read my Bible for two years of seminary. I was not all in with Jesus. I was all in with getting good grades and being really good at ministry, but I wasn't loving God. The hardest season of my life as a Christian was seminary. So I'm talking to a group of the room that we're in the crowd with Jesus. We're on the road with Jesus. And we hear this tragic news of what's happening in our world. And we want to report it to Jesus. We want to pray about it. We want to say, hey, Lord, look what happened down the street here in Minneapolis. Look what happened uh, to my friends and my peers in other parts of the country. God, look what's happening in our nation. And the Lord goes, yeah, it's pretty bad. If you're not all in with me, it'll be that bad for you too. Man, what a gracious God. Then he, then, then he ends the parable Because remember, the landowner wants to cut the tree down. And the vine dresser says this. This is Jesus trying to help us. Watch this, verse 8. And the vine dresser answered the master, Sir, leave it alone one more year. Let me dig around it and put some crap on it. It's manure. Let me dig around it and let me put some nutrients. Let, let Let me get some time with it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, great. But if not, then you can cut it down. In the parable, Jesus is trying to appeal on our behalf to extend his mercy and grace. He's going to the Father on our behalf. How many of you thankful for Jesus who continues to extend his mercy and his grace to us? And on our behalf goes, give me one more year with that guy. Give me 10 more months with that lady. Give me just a little bit longer. I'm trying to work my spirit into it. Let me put some of me in it. Let me put some nutrients back into their life. Let me see some fruitfulness in them. Man, we have a good God who is so patient with us and trying to help us. The caretaker is Christ. The fig tree is us. Jesus is asking God for a little more time. He's still inviting us, making room for us, giving us one more chapel service, one more month here in campus, one more year to try to live for God. Man, it's the kindness, Paul says in Romans, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's because God is good and God is kind and God is patient toward us. As tragic as our world is right now, if we're not all in with God, it's going to be more tragic for us. There's a limit to the season of God trying with us. And maybe you're ready to pluck yourself out of this vineyard, but I don't believe the Lord's ready for that. Just like the parable asks for one more year, there's a day when the Lord returns. Or perhaps your life is called into an end to stand before God's judgment. Maybe God's given you one more year, one more week, one more chapel service to extend this invitation of God's nutrients and God's patience and God's manure into your life. To fertilize your soul one more time. Maybe you've been so focused on the tragedy at, at the temple and so focused on the tragedy at Siloam and so focused on the tragedy of what's happening around our world that you've forgotten to lay down your life to Jesus Christ. To submit your whole life to God. To give all of you to Him. And I love that Jesus teaches this parable in response to tragedy. Because we're all living on borrowed time. Nobody knows the end of his life. I've been moved by this statement I've given called the urgency of eternity. Remember in John 14, he said, it's fitting that I leave. I have to go. I'm going I'm to go prepare a place for you. And I will return. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that this world is not all there is? That Jesus is coming back? He didn't die to save this world. He died to save people from this world. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Like there's a day that he's returning. And I'm telling you, are we ready to meet the Lord? Should we be here when Christ returns? Or should we meet him this week because we die of COVID? Are we ready to meet God? Have we turned our whole lives over to him and repented from sin? Here's what, here's what I just, man, if God never fixes 
the tragedy at Galilee, the tragedy at the altar, if God never fixes the tragedy at Siloam, listen to me, if God never fixes America, can God fix you? If God never changes racism in America, sexism in America, gender confusion in America, if God never deals with that, does God still have the right to deal with you? That's the better question Jesus was asking in a day of tragedy. Hey, Christians, this is the question we need to be asking people who are furious about what's happening in this broken world. God may never deal with that, but can God deal with you? Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise to return, but he's patient towards us because he's not wanting any to perish, but that all should reach repentance because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Can you stand to your feet, everybody watching, joining us in the room? Listen, I think, I think it's fitting in a room like this, in a place like this, in this part of the country to ask questions. There's no doubt that what happened in Minneapolis last May was tragic. I have grieved and wept and carried that grief with you. But we have to turn that grief into prophecy. We have to begin to invite people to know the Lord who will save them from not only that tragedy, but the tragedy that comes with God's judgment. We have a different message, church. We have a different language to say to this world. And if God never fixes this world, how many of you are thankful that God can fix people in this world and he can transform us to a new life? But here's what, here's what he says. Here's what he says. Unless you what? Repent. That word repent is not just asking for forgiveness. It's turning your life over to God. It's saying no to that life and yes to a life in him. So I just want to ask you, this is a simple end to a message like this. What do you need to repent of? What do you need to lay before the Lord today? What's, what are you still holding on to that you refuse to give back to God? You're trying to manage or carry it on your own. Maybe you need to repent of a life of unbelief and turn to a life of belief. Maybe you need to repent of a life of sin. You know the categories. I don't need to tell you that. And turn to a life of righteousness. Maybe you need to repent from a life of anger and bitterness and rage and turn to a life of joy and peace and prayer. But unless you repent, go all in with Jesus. As tragic as what's happening in our world, it's even worse under the judgment of God. So I just want to, I, I asked the team and if our staff is around or leaders want to just come near the front. If somebody needs prayer, let, let somebody pray with you. But don't hear a word like this from Jesus. I mean, I'm just as, you know, I'm just as hireling here. Don't let this teaching from Jesus escape you without doing some reckoning with the Lord. Let's lay some things down before God today. Let's repent of some things today before the Lord. And let's give these things to God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So let me lead you in a prayer and you come and you gather wherever you need. Let's just do business with God as you've heard this message today. Lord, what a grievous year it's been. What a painful season it's been. And Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would call us to a place of de de total dependence, total reliance, total repentance of the life that we're trying to live. God, you didn't fix that problem. You challenged the fix in us. God, you desire to go around with us again and to bring us back to a place of repentance, to give us another season where, God, we can bear fruit for you once again. But it starts with repentance. 
going all in with Jesus, giving our lives to you, God. God, forgive us of our sin. Transform us forever. Make us new in Christ. And God, we thank you. You end that parable. If it will bear fruit, great, well and good. Lord, that's what we want to bear fruit unto repentance, to bear fruit to godliness, to bear fruit in hope and joy and peace. And God, I pray that each of us would repent today and go all in, reestablish our commitment to Jesus, to the glory of God. Everybody pray this with me and just open your hands to the Lord and pray this. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus. I submit to Jesus. He died for me. I will live for him. Say this. I repent of my life. I repent of my sin. I give you all of me to the glory of God. As tragic as our world is, I look to you. I invite others to follow you. My hope, my salvation is in Jesus. Come on, let's give time with God. Let's get in these altars. Let's pray. Let's repent. Let's get before God in response to this. I love you, life. North, <laughs> North Central. God bless you.